Good morning, LCC. It's good to be with you as we continue our series on hope. Um, I've been a part of uh, high school education for a little over 20 years now. And in that time, I've heard an awful lot of talk about hope, particularly this time of year. You may remember last week we had our seniors share with us um, some of their hopes and some of their dreams and, and where they, they hope to, to go with the next steps of their life as they graduate. And this time of year, we talk about these things a lot. And one of the things that gets said is, is, uh, and repeated a lot is this idea that, that, that your hopes and your dreams can come true if you just believe and work hard enough. And I know what people mean by that. I, I get it. I understand that we're trying to, to encourage people to chase things because God uses our hopes and our dreams to, to redeem the world. But oftentimes that message gets, gets mixed in and muddled with other thoughts and ideas. It gets, it gets sort of combined together with, with if you don't get your hopes and dreams, there must be something wrong with you. And over the years, hearing that, that message has actually hurt me a bit. It stung because I remember the day that my dreams died. Um, as I, when I was growing up, when I was a young boy, and I've shared this before, but, but, but I, I, honest to goodness, my dream was to be a baseball player, to, to, to be able to play professional baseball or at least to play through high-level college baseball. And, and, and I'll be honest, I was, I was committed to it, and I was pretty good at it. And, and, and I, I got a lot of my, my personal worth and value out of, out of being able to play baseball. But I remember the day that that dream died. Uh, my family and I were visiting a, a high-level college baseball program, and I'd been invited to speak to their coaches and to, to be there. And so we made the trip to, to, to this school, and, and, and we were met there by an assistant baseball coach. And, um, and he, he met us outside the, the athletic offices, and he walked us back and talked with us and showed us the facilities. And, and then we got to the... Uh, the, the head coach's office and we were standing outside and waiting and he went in to get the head coach. And um, the, the, the coldness of this still stings to this day, but he went into the head coach's office and, and he said, the Burns kid is here. And, and the head coach said, oh, the catcher. There was excitement in his voice. He was looking for a catcher for his, his, his next uh, recruiting class. And, um, and as the, with the door still cracked, he kind of leaned back in his chair and, and he looked through that cracked door and what he saw instead of a six foot one and 200 pound um, young man, he saw a five foot nine, 145, 155 pound kid. And, and he, looked, he looked me up and down. I saw him. And then he leaned back to, and said to the assistant coach and he said, you're sure he's a catcher? And the coach said, yeah. The assistant coach replied, yes. And he said, just give him the nickel tour. Tell him he can play JV for us and, and see if we can get him in. He didn't even come out of his office to meet me. He never spoke to me. <laughs> and it stung. It hurt. And I was, I was left with a, a broken dream. And that dream had been dwindling for a while. I'd watched kids that, that were my backups go on and have greater opportunities because they had a particular body that I didn't have. Um, but, but, at, but that day put just very much, it felt like a door slamming on me. And, and so when I hear these ideas that if you just work hard enough, I want to say, no, I worked so hard. I devoted so much of my, my formative years to this. 
that if if you just believe that it can happen, and I would want to say I had no doubts. I was so confident in my abilities and, and what I could do. But but I still I just had this this brokenheartedness about it that my dreams were crushed. I'd made my life about something. I'd made my life about reaching a goal that was that that wound up in the end wasn't attainable for me, no matter how hard I worked, no matter how much I believed in it. And I think Jesus speaks into this. I think he speaks into everything, but he speaks into this to some degree in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he says in verses 20 in verse 24 he says everyone who hears these words he'd given he'd laid out in in the Sermon on the Mount these words he means he'd laid out his vision for what what his kingdom was like what it would be like when things were right in in the world and he said everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You see, He's talking about houses. He's talking about life, the sort of the totality of life and the foundation of life. And there are certain things that are, that are transient. They're sandy to build your life on. And there's other things that are solid. They're like the rock. And we can, we can build our life there. We can put our hopes there. And, and he's saying that, that hopes on him, that those, those hopes are... Are, are, they're like rock. No matter what life throws at us, those hopes will stand. And so this morning, I want to I introduce some of you to a guest, but some of you, this is a familiar face. Um, I'm going to invite uh, Jen Michelle to meet with us. And we, we had a conversation. And I, I, I want you to hear what Jen has to say about this topic. Um, Jen uh, and her husband Ryan and their family were part of our, our body, um, gosh, going back probably 15 years now. But, but life took them through some places, and she's going to share that story. But Jen now currently resides in Toronto, and, and, and she's written several books, and she's a speaker. And, and her first book was the book Teach Us to Want, where she talks about this very idea of, of our longings, our dreams, and what do we do? What happens when those, those longings are, are unmet? What happens when our dreams are broken? And so would you, uh, would you listen as Jen shares with us about, about uh, our broken dreams? Jen, thanks for joining us. We're excited that you uh, took the time to share with us. Um, a lot of our people at LCC are going to remember you. Um, Jen, her husband Ryan, were part of our church. Goodness, probably going back 15 years now or so. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of our folks who don't know you. So um, would you just take a minute and sort of let us know, like, who are you? Where have you been? Um, you live, you know, we know you lived in Central Ohio then, but what, where's God taken you since then? Yeah. Grew up and went to high school and, in Ohio and settled back in Ohio when we were raising our kids um, when they were super young. But in 2004, we moved back to Chicago, where my husband is from so that he could attend graduate school and kind of thought, you know, well, this, this makes sense. Um, we'll stay close to his family. Um, but actually in 2011, we had an opportunity to move to Toronto, uh, Canada. And that was, you know, it, 
actually felt like sort of the an of the fulfillment of a long-held desire. I mean, I think Ryan and I, when we got married, we thought, we imagine ourselves living outside of the United States, maybe in Europe, I don't know, you know, just that wherever God wanted to send us. And it happened to be just in Canada. <laughs> um, but yeah, we moved to Canada in 2011, and that's when I started writing. And um, well, actually, I should say I started writing when I was at LCC. And I can remember a couple of different specific moments where I felt like God was calling me to write. And I did a couple of projects um, for the church. And in 2011, I started writing more um, and then started publishing books. And so, yeah, I've published three books and I've got a fourth one coming out next year. And in that, in the meantime, my kids have gotten tall and a lot taller than you remember them. <laughs> I've got, I, I look a little bit older too than, you know, 16 years ago, I guess. Have an Asia day. <laughs> nope. Nope. Neither of you. <laughs> So, in fact, Jen, as you were talking about that, one of the things you wrote here um, was contributed to and really repurposed our Adventum series that we did last fall. Yes. A lot of our people know Adventum. Well, Jen was a huge, like, uh, um, the genesis of that was Jen's work back when she she was at LCC uh, back in the early 2000s. So, we're super, super thankful for your work then that has still benefited us many years later. Um, yeah, and, and we're here today, we're talking about hope, and, and I asked you to join us because um, one of the first things that you published mm-hmm. deals with this idea of hope, um, and I, I just wanted you to, to share with us a little bit about, about your, your thoughts, what led you to that place, why was, why was this idea of hope in our dreams and our desires, um, why was that such a, a special project for you? Yeah, well, when we moved to, um, to Toronto in 2011, um, our kids were getting a little bit older. Our youngest kids, um, we have twins, and at the time they were three and a half, so they were off to preschool, and it was the first time that I actually had a little bit more time um, to myself, and I started writing, and I realized like how much of my story, because um, I really felt like God was just calling me to write about his faithfulness, write what he was doing in our family at the time, and um, I was just impressed in just in the scripture, how often Israel is called to remember, to remember what God has done and the looking back being so important for the looking forward. So I just sort of engaged that as a practice. And I realized like how much of my story was about um, desire, you know, and, and honestly, truthfully, dis- disappointment too. Um, you know, when I really think about, so I wrote my first book is Teach Us to Want. And it really is just kind of asking this question, like, what do we do with desire in the life of faith? I mean, are we allowed to want? And I think part of that question for me was really about having a prodigal story, you know, so grew up in a Christian family, but then kind of, and I never really said I didn't believe in Jesus. It was more like, that's super boring. And I'll come back to that when I'm like 30 and driving a minivan kind of idea. Um, (laughs) you know, as boring as my life is today. <laughs> you, every, um, all your dreams came true. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so it was kind of, I mean, it was a very typical sort of teenage story of like desire run wild, you know? And then when I came to follow Jesus, um, my junior year of high school, I just sort of thought desire was like the bad thing. You know, desire was the thing that was always going to lead you off the cliff in your life of faith. So better not want, you know, better not sort of like kind of tamp that down, you know, just make sure you do the things that God wants. Uh, your whole life of faith is just figuring out what God wants. And I think there were, there were like half truths in all of that, you know? Um, I mean, it, eventually it sort of became unworkable not to want, you know, because I think to be a human being, 
is to just to feel very deeply longings, yearnings, hopes, desires, dreams. Like if, and actually those are such beautiful parts of who we are and how God has made us. And that really makes us feel alive in so many ways. So it's not, it's not very workable to kind of try to smother that and tamp that down. I mean, that was one thing I think. So, you know, the prodigal story and like suspicion about desire, but you know, it truthfully was also like just the recognition that um, you can want things from life and life may very well not give them to you. Hmm. And you can want things from God and God may not give those to you as well. And so when I was um, 18, almost 19, freshman in college, um, my dad suddenly died, you know, and it was all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, life is so fragile, so uncertain. He wasn't sick. Like it was just this crazy kind of the, the mo least, um, thing, the thing I would least expect, you know, to get a call in the middle of March, you know, your dad's died, come home, um, come home for his funeral. And so I think that just shaped this idea of like life being very uncertain and just sort of like a, and a, being afraid to want, because what if, what if you get disappointed, you know? And when I was a mom of young children, you know, I kind of think like there were different kinds of disappointments, you know, and, and I hate to even say this, but I think there will probably be, you know, parents in the congregation who will, who might, you know, identify with this, that we had three young children. Actually, when we moved um, back to Chicago in 2004, I was pregnant with our third and we'd had three kids in three years and super busy. And, you know, I was kind of going to look forward to getting out of that stage, <laughs> truthfully. And I had, I actually had ministry desires and dreams. I sort of imagined myself going back to school for, a biblical degree and doing some uh, ministry with that. And then all of a sudden I found out I'm pregnant, you know, like a total surprise. And then about a month later, I found out it was twins. And I'm like, my life is absolutely over right now. <laughs> it's ended. <laughs> it's ended, you know, and, and I wish I could say that that was a moment that I was like, okay, God, you know, obviously you have plans for me that I don't, I didn't know to expect that, but I'm sure they're going to be great. I didn't have that faith at that time. Like I didn't have, you know, I wasn't like Mary, the mother of Jesus, like, let it be unto me according <laughs> to your word. You know, I, I didn't feel that way. I felt like, no, I had plans, God, and now you're changing them. And I'm not super excited about that. And so it was just all these pieces, you know, that kind of a real wrestling with, like, how do I engage a life of desire and hope and longing that's good but that's still so open-handed that where I really say, God, I do want what you want. Mm. But I also have to name what I want because maybe that's the first step in the journey of understanding what's the gap between those things. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to throw a little curveball with this, but I, I trust you'll, you'll still be able to knock it out of the park. Um, we, I grew up and, and then today we're talking with our people about, what what to do with our like when our hopes are shattered our hopes are broken mm -hmm. and 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 all these false hopes that we have these places where we put our hope that that can't satisfy and and i grew up with this idea or mentality that um like there's only two kinds of hopes like there's hope in heaven and god and then there's the hopes of this world and so I, I yeah. sort of, your statement about we're going to long for something. And I'll be honest, I found myself not longing for the things of God. Like those weren't my longings. 
And so I felt this like really dichotomy between what I knew I was supposed to be hoping in. Yes. And, and the thing I saw is the only alternative was like, well, if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. Like if I'm going to hope in the things of the world, I might as well hope in all of them. And, mm. and it really, it, it really has over my life has played a number, done a number on my thinking when it comes to the best life God could have for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I guess as you think about just, just our hopes and what, what happens when we kind of realize that all of those hopes of the world, there's something missing in it, but how have you navigated those waters? Oh, that's such a good question. Because I mean, I feel like I was exactly the same thing. Like, okay, so good hopes are like, I, you know, I should long for the day where all I do is hide in my house and read my Bible. And I have my head bent and I'm praying. And then when it comes time to do the dishes, I sing, you know, (laughs) experience the presence of Jesus, like Brother Lawrence. But only worship songs. Only worship songs. (laughs) Absolutely. Don't sing anything, you know, from like a top 40. Right. No, no, no. and again, it's just, it's just so unworkable. You know, it's interesting because after I wrote Teachers to One, and I was just really kind of saying, okay, this is a good question in my life. What do I want? Jesus is asking that for, to people all the time throughout the Gospels. Like, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? You know, and I think that kind of question is really good because sometimes it does allow us to say like, well, I don't want the things of God. But then, then what, you know, what do you do or what do you do when you're like, I don't know, I want this, but is that the thing that God wants for me? So that was kind of where I was at the end of teach us to one, like, this is a good, like desire can be good. Good desire can be an important part of our life with God. So what do I really want? And I was like, I really want home. You know, I was able to sort of name that as like my most fundamental desire. And I think that even phrase illuminates what you're talking about, right? Like, so when I say I long for home, like, oh, so, so does that mean heaven? Like, I just long for that eternal tomorrow and everything that I, where I live today, my home today, like my actual, like house, my neighborhood, my family, like all those things, like don't really matter, you know, because God wants me to be thinking about, um, that eternal tomorrow, that, you know, the, the heaven, you know, the heavenly life. And I just think that is such a mistake. I think that the, the fact that Jesus took on flesh and John chapter one says he moved into the neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, it's just this, this affirmation of life here and now, not as the end and not as the ultimate but as a way to experience God and actually worship God. And so a couple of things that have been super helpful for me, like Alexander Schmemann, which is a really weird name, but there's a, it's just kind of this tiny little book called for the life of the world. And this sort of revolutionized my thinking. He takes us back to the garden and he says, you look at Adam and Eve and he said, they took the fruit and what they really wanted is they preferred the gift to the giver the forbidden fruit. They just took this thing, they wanted it, and they they wanted it to the exclusion of a relationship with God. Whereas like he says, you know, in the garden, what we're supposed to understand is like everything that God had given was to be enjoyed, but to be enjoyed as a gift from him, like as a way to worship Mm -hmm. so that, so that the fruit and the goodness of the garden, like it wasn't an enemy of, of one longing for God. Like it actually could be a way too long for God, if that makes sense. 
and again, like there are other people who have been really helpful for me to kind of think about like just desires being rightly ordered. Like instead of saying, oh, you know, I shouldn't long for anything that's here and now because those are always going to be bad. Well, no, I mean, I'm a human being. It makes sense that I long for relationships that are deep and meaningful. It makes sense that I long for a place that's actually physically like secure and um, safe and goodness, beautiful. I mean, God gave us the beautiful garden. It would make sense that we would long to live in beautiful places. You know, these things, they're, they're right and they're good, but they have to be ordered rightly, you know, so that when I, when I, so that I don't hold on to them again, it's this idea of like, how hard am I going to cling on to these things and say, God, my life is not going to be good unless I have, I'm married and I have this house and I drive this car and I have this job and I take these vacations or, or I have this child, this, this, my family lives in this way. Like, so God, I'll know you're good if you give me those things. Mm. I mean, that I think is where it totally goes wrong. But what if you do have things that God has given you to enjoy? And rather than feeling like guilty, like, oh my gosh, maybe this is taking my eyes off God. Okay, why don't, you know, looking at the gifts and saying, oh God, you're, you are so good. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when you walk through a season of a uh, season of your life, that's wilderness where you just don't even, you don't even see anything good that those are the seasons that really test our faith. And I think about Israel in the wilderness in Deuteronomy chapter eight, I've been spending some time in Deuteronomy for my next book. And God says, you know, I humbled you and I let you hunger. And then I fed you with manna so that you would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so there's there, when God gives us a good gift, I think we can praise him for it when God withholds something from our lives and our, we're experiencing scarcity in some way, there, that's, that's a time to lean in and say, by faith, God, I know you to be good. I know you to be good and to do good. So open my eyes so I can see that. Yeah, man, that's so rich. Um, and, and that obviously speaks to a season of life. When you talk about scarcity or you talk about so many people wrestling and struggling with yes. what we've, not had for the last several months and for the foreseeable future or what, what we're missing out on. Um, and, and mm-hmm. Jen, thank you. Like, but if you would, is it possible if there's one thing that you would say to our people on this idea of hope, um, what would that thing be? Like if you, if you had, if you could put a, a, <laughs> a, a bow on the package and just sort of say like, Hey, here's the thing. What would that thing be when it comes as you've studied hope and you've written about hope and desire and our dreams, what would that thing be for our people right now? Mm. No hope that we place in God is disappointed. You know, I really think that we, that faith is about trusting in God's faithfulness. You know, it's funny because I was talking to the twins about this recently and we were, we've been reading the story of Abraham and I was like, you know, what do you notice about about Abraham's faith. And they're like, just that he can't, he just trusted God's promises. Hmm. I think that's what underlies true Christian hope. Hmm. I don't know what the outcomes will be, you know, of any situation. I don't know what tomorrow holds and you don't either. None of us do, but we know that God is faithful, that God is the friend who never leaves and forsakes, that God gave his son Jesus. And if he gave him what good thing would he withhold? You know, the apostle Paul says, and that might not be good as we think about it, 
but it is ultimately good, you know? And right. so I just think hope that's placed in God is never misplaced. Mm. Now you, that's, and it's so, you know, it's one of the things that we've really been wrestling with in this time is in our body has been allowing God to even shape our definitions of what hope is, what good yes. means. Yes. Um, and, and getting those things aligned appropriately. Jen, mm. thank you so much. Um, we, yeah. we miss you and your family. Thank um, you. And uh, hope to see you soon. But thank you for this time. This has been so valuable. Thank you so much, Tom. Absolutely. Wow, did you catch that? Thanks, Jen. No hope in God disappoints. That's the firm foundation. That's, that's the house built on the rock. You see, when we started this series, we defined hope in a certain way. We wanted to take it and remove it from the world of just our, our wishes, our dreams, as if God is some kind of genie in a bottle who's just going to satisfy all of our wishes. And we wanted to, to, to reframe it and to understand it. And so we said that hope is living in the expectation that God will deliver on his promises, no matter what the present situation He's going to deliver on his promises for the best possible future. And that's hope. And, and our hope is rooted in this four-part story of creation and fall, redemption and glorification. But we find ourselves living in this tension between the fall and the, the world that is, the world where, where we, have, we have viruses that, that upset our lives, and the world of redemption where God is doing something. He's doing something to make it right. That's where we live. We live in that tension between those two chapters of God's story. And so we're living there. And I want to go back to graduation for a minute. I want to go back to the things that we say with good intention, but the things that we say that, that God has hopes and plans for you. He has dreams for you. And sometimes we even quote scripture to support it. And one of the most famous ones that we use is Jeremiah chapter 29. And Jeremiah was a prophet whose life straddled the exile of Israel. And so when Jeremiah begins writing, the nation of Israel, at least the tribe of Judah, is still, um, is still in Jerusalem. The, the, they, they still have the temple. They still have their land. But they're, be, they're becoming increasingly disobedient, and God warns them. He warns them that they're going to be punished. And ultimately, he does punish them by when an invading army comes in and takes them into captivity. And there's a then Jeremiah straddles that he he he's at work prior to that and at work after, and and Jeremiah says something in, in Jeremiah chapter twenty nine we we see these this verse where it says I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare for your good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope, and we we cling to that that God has plans for us plans for our good, but we often read chapter twenty nine verse eleven just on its own and we. We neglect the fact that the very verse before that, verse 10 says this, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And then he goes on and says, I know the plans I have. You see, what God was saying was, I'm going to deliver on my promises ultimately, but here's the deal. This one, it's going to be 70 years before it comes true. The people that Jeremiah was writing to wouldn't even be alive when this promise was, was fulfilled. 
And we need to keep that in view. We need to understand that God is going to keep his promises for the best possible future. But the fact of the matter is that God is on a different timeline from us. He's doing work that we may or may not see. And he it, it, and, and another prophet of the Old Testament who was at work at the same time as Jeremiah, the prophet Isaiah says this in chapter 42. He's speaking, he has a message directly from the Lord. He says this, I am the Lord, that's my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be satisfied with, with my people worshiping idols when all the glory should be going to me. And then in verse nine, he says this, see the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. He's saying there's new work that's gonna be done and I'm telling you it's happening. And, and then in verse 10, he goes on and says this, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them. You see, what he's saying is no matter where you are, depths of the sea or up on the land and the islands and spread all over the place, it doesn't matter. I'm doing something new and I'm asking you to sing along with me. Sing the new song that I'm giving you. The very next chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah says this in chapter 43, he says, see, I am doing a new thing. It springs up. Do you perceive it? Do you recognize it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You see, it may feel like the present time is a desert. It's barren, but God's making a way. He's bringing new life there. And that's where, where hope is. Now, remember the context of this. It was going to be a long time before those streams in the desert or, or the way in the wilderness was fulfilled, but it was going to happen. It was going to happen. Paul recognizes this too. Paul in the New Testament in the book of Philippians, he says, brothers, I don't consider that I've made this my own. He's, he's talking about this, the fulfillment, the completion of salvation. But one thing I do, he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is saying that, that there's something ahead. There's a goal that's ahead. It's a good goal. It's, it's worth persevering. He writes again, Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians, he says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, Paul is urging us and arguing with us and he's saying that, that whatever you have at present it's light momentary affliction. And, and remember, the trials and troubles of the first century Christians were so heavy. Their, their lives were at risk all the time, both from, from Jews, zealous Jews who didn't want the message of Jesus to go out, but also from, from a Roman empire that was uh, from day to day shifting back and forth between accommodating to their, to their faith and sometimes persecuting. And they had, they had these these real trials. And he says that's all light and momentary affliction or trouble. It just, it's, it's passing because there's something that's so heavy, a weight of glory that awaits us. And you see, that's what we're talking about here. That's what we're getting at. So what do we do when our dreams are crushed, when the things that we've built our life around, our hopes and dreams are are going unmet, or, or maybe the door is slammed on them, or, or, or someone has said with finality, it's not you. You're not gonna get what you want. What do we do when that happens? 
the first step is this. We've got to allow God to, re- to redeem our hopes and dreams. That is the third chapter of God's story that we're living in. You heard Jen say that, that God produced a longing for home in her, for home, and, and that home is eternal. We need to do the same. When our dreams are crushed, we can shake our fist at God and, and get angry at him for what happened, or we can allow the moment, allow that point in time to become a springboard that, that propels us forward and into his waters of mercy and grace and goodness. That's available to us, but only if we allow him to redeem, to make new our hopes and dreams. He wants to do new work today as much as he did in the nation of Israel. It's, it's every bit as important to him. But it also comes at a cost, and we've got to understand that. The cost of realizing this, the cost of living with hope, is the cost of patience and endurance. He is at work. He is doing good things. He has an outcome that's, that will take place. But it's on his time and his terms. And so... We must continue to trust. We must continue to put our faith in his firm foundation on the rock. This week, as you wrestle with this, would you do as the prophet Isaiah said from God? Would you sing a new song to God? If, if, if the, the, the coronavirus pandemic has, has your hopes crushed, Would you turn that crushing into singing? Would you sing along with God? Ask him what he's doing. Pray with me. God, we we want to trust you. Our, Our skepticism is high and we can be negative, but we want to trust you. We want our hope to be in you. We want that those longings to be redeemed so that you fulfill our deepest longings, our deepest desires. We confess that many of our hopes are built in this world, our hopes that, that, that people will, will notice us, that we'll, we'll be something important, our hopes that, that, that those around us are going to love us back the way that we want to be loved, our, our hopes that we're going to accomplish something that, 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 that's going to produce meaning. We want all of that to be true. And God, we ask um, today that, that you would take those hopes and those dreams and you would, you would redeem them, you would recreate them, you would make them new. God, turn our, our brokenness into your glory. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.